0: feel like your immune system needs a bit of a tune-up, today's show is for you. We are taking a tour of the immune system, what it needs and what we can do.
1: If all the birds could fly right now, as high as me somehow, they could see all the things I've been dreaming of. These wings of mine flutter inside, they shimmy and they glide. Breaking forth, crack the shell from this clockwork light.
0: Hello and welcome to the Low Tox Life Podcast. I'm Alex Stewart, your host, and today is show number 293. We are fast approaching 300. Thank you to everybody for tuning in, listening to the show, leaving your reviews. I appreciate you and I love seeing how much you appreciate different episodes and what gels for you based on what I see pop up in my Instagram stories when you guys share Uh, some of the enlightening moments that you experience in listening to the show. Today we are talking with one of my favorite naturopaths, Jules Galloway, an Aussie naturopath uh, here um, up in Queensland, and she is uh, a generalist but also one with a lot of experience with chronic conditions, environmental toxins, and immune dysfunction, as I think every naturopath has had to become, especially over the last couple of years, as everyone seeks to do their best for their immune system and to create those SOS plans at a time when we might come down with all manner of things that are floating around these days, not just COVID. So I wanted to do a show on immune system support, why our immune system might need support or boosting, uh, something that often gets shot down in the mainstream uh, discussion around health, and what we can do for a save-the-day situation as well as as a a day-to-day situation. I always say that save-the-day often looks different to -to day-to-day and we talk about all of that in today's show. So Jules is a highly experienced naturopath, Uh, coming up to two decades of industry experience. And she not only has a ton of books, courses, a podcast of her own, she sees clients one-on-one via Zoom, but she's also a mentor to young naturopaths and practitioners uh, to help them become more confident in their practice. So she's a big-hearted chick and I adore her. So I'm really, really excited to kick off that conversation in Just a little minute. I want to thank this month's sponsor, uh, who are Nordic Naturals, uh, and in particular, we're focused on the Arctic cod liver oil. There's two different versions, actually, there's three. You can get the capsules, or you can get the liquid, and you can get the Arctic D cod liver oil that also has a nice little thousand. IU of vitamin D in the mix as well. So you get all those good EPA, DHA nutrients, uh, as well as that immune support from the additional vitamin D. It's a fantastic product. My son and I love the lemon flavored liquid, very easy to take by the teaspoonful in the morning. Uh, Sometimes practitioner doses go a bit higher than that. That's something for you to chat with a practitioner about, but Half to a teaspoon a day is a really fantastic uh, boost. And the research is very, very clear when it comes to omega-3 fatty acids on everything from reducing inflammation to supporting healthy immune response, optimizing brain and cognitive function. And we know, especially with long COVID, we're doing a show on that coming up very soon Uh, which hopefully many of you will be supported by, but we know the impacts to the brain and cognitive function are a very real challenge in the COVID picture and, in fact, in many um, long-haul virus situations. So your omega-3 essential fatty acids address and support that aspect of healing as well as positive mood, attention and focus, healthy skin and hair, Uh, cardiovascular function, uh, and circulation. I mean, it really, there is just so much positive evidence to getting these essential fatty acids into our day-to-day. You can have vegetarian sources like, Flaxseed is a really good example and contains the alpha-linolenic acid, ALA, which has to be converted to EPA and DHA by the enzyme delta-6 desaturase. So unfortunately for some, and this is why bioindividuality is key, this conversion is not very efficient in many, many people, quite a high percentage so unless you're a strict vegan or vegetarian, uh, Dr. Alyssa Song, who I was reading up on her recommendations around EPA DHA recently, uh, the recommendation is that wild-caught, sustainable fatty fish as a primary source or a very high-quality supplement. Uh, Nordic Naturals, as you've heard me talk about this month, it really is a very high-quality supplement and Uh, has very staunch practices around purity and filtration as well as replenishment of stocks. So it's a regenerative fish oil product. They are not uh, overfishing the oceans. They're not uh, trawling and picking up all sorts of other living creatures in the sea that need to stay there. Uh, It's a very, very well-run managed um, fishery that has been around for a very long time. I will. Continue, I will put in the show notes the wonderful founder video where you see the ex-gymnast uh, who was injured and then um, was really supported by adding cod liver oil uh, and fish oil into his day to day in his recovery. Then ended up starting Nordic Naturals. It's a really. I really love hearing about how brands begin and what commitments they have. Uh, to you know, knowing that when I have that little teaspoon in the morning, I know that there's a beautiful family of people behind that brand uh, doing their absolute best for people and planet. Um, so, thank you to Nordic Naturals for sponsoring the show this month, and of course, our major sponsor this year, the wonderful team at Oz Climate. I was just having a chat in our Lotox Club membership just yesterday. Someone was saying, "What was the name of that um, compact air purifier?" And every, so many people chimed in. Oh, it's the four stage air purifier, the Winix from Oz Climate. Don't forget to use your discount. So it was great to see people have um got these and put them in their bedrooms. For me, the little compact stage four purifier four stage purifier is a really attractive Filter for the bedroom as well. A lot of air filters are really big and awful looking and the aesthetic part, while of course the function is extremely important, it's really nice when both come in the one package. It's very reasonably priced and, of course, you get 10% off all of their air filters and the dehumidifiers, which are all back in stock now. With the code Life. you have 10% off all year round from the wonderful Oz Climate. So head to their website. Um, You can grab their contact number if you want to give them a call. They love stepping you through your home plan, upstairs, downstairs, how big, open plan, small bedrooms, and they help you know what units you need for your house and your climate type. So thank you to our sponsors. And now let's hook into this uh, wonderful immune system. Yes, it can go wrong, but there's a lot about today's show that helps it go right. Enjoy. Jules Galloway hello.
1: Hello Alex it's been a while. It how has
0: and I'm really well how are you?
1: Good I'm so excited. I'm really like excited the band for back this. together
0: today. I know <laughs> and recently actually it hasn't been so long in terms of us chatting because we had you in the LOTOX club recently talking about uh, PMDD and PMT which was amazing um, but the podcast, I reckon it's been about four years, and we did a show on pyrols. and because that's such a specific search kind of term, people find that show and honestly find answers for their health all these years later. Yep. And it's just amazing yep. to keep getting little comments under that show's show notes. Thank you so much for this, and, and people find you and everybody raves about working with you, so Today, we're talking about something a little bit more um, broad spectrum, shall I say, with a little pun there. Um, (laughs) And we're talking about the immune system. And I wanted to do a show on this and uh, well, because I feel like with a lot of these lockdowns and tell me if I'm wrong, but this is my own personal observation, we've been locked down, we've been social distanced. It's not so much about how you feel about those things. Today's show is not a political one at all. But it almost feels like as we get unleashed back into the world, it's like toddlers starting daycare for the first time. And our immune systems are just like, whoa, and we're a little bit out of shape. So we're catching everything. That's what I'm noticing. What are you noticing in clinic?
1: I'm noticing exactly the same thing. And God help anyone who has got toddlers in daycare at the moment because they're getting it like tenfold.
0: They are. I can vouch for that with my poor sis and her little guy. <laughs> yeah. Okay. So we're doing a, a, a full hour on the immune system. And I thought we could break it down into um, having a look at the building blocks for immune function and a healthy immune response uh, and start there because that way we know at least during these times of heightened lurkies all over the place, Um, how best to set ourselves up for either minimising infection, like it's impossible to avoid it, obviously, um, but uh, or um, could we avoid some of them? Maybe. 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 Talk us through it.
1: I what does our be... immune system
0: need to do to look after us?
1: <laughs> I think it would be arrogant to think that we could avoid it altogether if we could just boost our immune system so much to make ourselves like Teflon. I just really don't think that that is a really good way of, of looking at the topic. I know that a lot of people are just so uh, not obsessed, but very focused on boosting immunity and bolstering their defences and getting everything up like like, vitamin C and zinc and this vitamin and that vitamin. If I take this herb, I'm going to be like superhuman and they still catch viruses and they still suffer. There's so much more to the picture than just trying to prevent catching something in the first place. And anyone who has had a toddler at daycare or who, who has gone back out into the world recently will know that it's going to get you. It's just going to get you when you least suspect it. And if it's, if it's not the, you know, the fashionable virus that's going around at the moment, it'll be some other virus because it seems that they're all having a bit of a thing. They're having a party at the moment. And now there's, now there's a term called fluvid, which is, yeah, so you can sometimes catch more than one thing at once. So I've, there's so many other building blocks be, besides boosting The crap out of your immune system. That I think we need to have a look at, and and also consider like how do immune systems work in the first place, and what sets them off. Okay,
0: well, let's start there then.
1: Yeah. So your immune system cells are made in your gut. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So that little reminder. Hello. Hello. (laughs) Remember how naturopaths are always banging on about everything being in the The gut. In the gut, it's the Mm -hmm. source of everything. The old naturopathic. Uh, the, the old naturopathic way of looking at things is when in doubt, treat the gut and then see what else you need to deal with with the patient. And it's true. Like if you don't know what to do with a person, you'll find a gut issue to start working on and something will get better. So at the end of the day, the last couple of years have been absolutely catastrophic for our guts in general. Mm. Uh, I think it started with the sourdough craze that, that took oh, off with the start of lockdown.
0: That was my least... I did not even touch that. I didn't go there. I eat bread once in a blue moon anyway because grain-free just works better for us. So like I'll make an almond loaf or something like that every now and then. But um, we've got a really good gluten-free purveyor. They do an excellent job. So if I fancy a slice of bread once or twice a month, it's going to be from them. They're the professionals. And if I learn how to make bread, that is going to be dangerous, so I just chose not to go anywhere near it.
1: Yeah, and, and Alex, you and I are both super busy, and I think we just looked at that and went, no, Yeah, nah, to, we don't have
0: time <laughs> to be that. very Australian, yeah. yeah, nah,
1: yeah, nah. Yeah. And then, and then people moved on from sourdough to pies. I saw mm-hmm. a bit of a sourdough thing, and people went, That's too easy, and they started moving on to pies and pastries and trying to make all of that stuff from home as well. And of course, then the lockdowns dragged on, and in some states, it was obviously worse than others and then along with that comes the comfort eating and the wine and the just in that real damage control mode of just trying to get through the day however you can so that it was like people resorting to sugar and starchy foods and the result of that that i saw several months down the track was just gut gut issues just coming out of every wow every, really people who hadn't had gut issues before having new gut issues for the Well first they'd be more
0: one. sedentary um, living as well wouldn't yeah. they yeah
1: yeah and then people who had gut issues having an exacerbation in their symptoms or having new problems and people with autoimmune issues especially having an increase in their autoimmune problems which was stemming from the gut issue and so when I delved a little deeper into the whole gut thing, what, what I started to realize is that, of course, you've got that gut-brain connection, but you've also got a brain-gut connection. So we've known for a while now that what's going on in the gut affects neurotransmitter production and neurotransmitter activity in the brain. And so if you've got a problem in the gut, that can affect brain function and that can you know increase things like depression, anxiety, mood disorders, et cetera. But what they also now know is that what's going on in the brain affects gut function. And this is really important when we talk about COVID lockdowns because a lot of people were experiencing stress and trauma. And so if the brain is stressed, it then sends a message from the brain through the the superhighway that is the vagus nerve system and it tells the gut to downregulate its function. So you started to see. We don't have
0: time for that right now. We're fighting a line.
1: We're in trouble as Mm. if we're going to have to stop and eat. We don't have time to forage for food. We'll just switch that off. And so, so,
0: okay, I, I feel like we need to also mention, so we're not just dealing with trying to run like homeschooling some, many people for the first time, some people do homeschool, but most of us were like, oh, my gosh, how? And oh, my gosh, no. <laughs> <laughs> and um, uh, then dealing with trying to get into a workflow state while that homeschooling was happening, not to mention all the other things that we were dealing with, but then also the mental health aspect of um, the politicisation of this illness uh, that's the fashionable one. It's not the only one we're talking about today. We're talking generally on the immune system, but I feel like things like um, internet rabbit holes and polarisation and becoming really angry um, or really scared, uh, depending on which side of things you decided to take camp in, and then all the people in the middle who were just confused, Uh, all of that contributes to fight or flight extended time. And
1: absolutely it's really absolutely.
0: yeah it's it's tough
1: it it is and there was so much going on and we're very resilient human it's very hard to kill a human we are quite resilient beings and so we just learn to cope and after a while that level of stress just feels like it's normal to us and it's not until that stress goes to the next level that we'll notice again or it's not until the stress stops that will realize how bad it was at the time. We're really, really good at smoothing things over in our mind and keeping going. It's a survival mechanism. But unfortunately, the bit that doesn't believe that hype is the gut, because if you're stressed and it's sending these messages to the gut to downregulate gut function, like your gut isn't going to, you know, it's going to believe those messages. Whereas like, as a person, you can get on with it and go, oh no, I'm just busy. Oh, I've just got to get through this week. Oh, I can do this, like, it's not so bad. There's. I know someone two doors down whose mum's in a nursing home and her dad's over in the UK and they can't visit and COVID's been really bad for them and rah, rah, rah. I know someone who, you know, who's lost a family member to COVID. You can always start to rationalise and justify why you're okay compared to someone else who's having a much harder time out there you can always find someone to hang up as the poster child of how much worse things could be for you and so of course we're really good at rationalizing that but our gut doesn't buy into that 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 dodgy logic our gut just believes the messages coming from the brain if the brain says it's stressed the gut goes okay i'll switch off awesome so now you've got this downregulated gut situation. So you've got less hydrochloric acid being produced, less enzymes being produced, your motility, so the, the speed at which things are moving through the gut, that slows down. So this is a deliberate survival mechanism put forward from years and years and years of hunting and gathering and foraging, which meant that if we were very stressed and running from tiger, we weren't going to eat, we don't need that, that energy being put in that department that day. So we've we've now got this down regulation going on but like you said we're sedentary we're sitting around in our homes and we're eating sourdough
0: <laughs> it's a recipe for disaster
1: what could possibly oh, go my wrong Oh goodness
0: yeah okay <laughs> well,
1: oh and did i mention the wine and sugar because mm. like like that happened too well, there's the psychology of deserving
0: the wine once the day is finally done, especially, you know, I, I remember it with newborn phase, which was actually what led me to give up alcohol for six months to recalibrate myself. Once I realized I felt like I deserved a drink at the end of the day and that was part of my psyche. I was like, oh, oh that's not good.
1: Yeah, um, it is. It's seen as a treat. but mm-hmm. then if it's not wine that's being seen as a treat, it'll be sugar or something starchy and you know there will always be some sort of of treat department in your head that has an idea of the thing that I'm looking forward to at the end of the day so then of course that's going to impact gut function and I'm not saying any of that was wrong I mean hey I was drinking wine during lockdown as well like you know (laughs) I'm I don't want anyone to think that I wasn't doing all of these things like I'm I'm a naturopath but also I I do live in the real world and but I also I can tell you like I I immediately felt the effects of that on my own health. like if I was drinking too much so like then that remember if the gut is where your immune system is being made to come full circle back around to that you are not paving the way for good immune health and what you are paving the way for is inflammation and as soon as your immune system is dealing with inflammation like you've gone down like a whole other path then
0: yeah yeah shocker and then i mean we've talked about obviously the food aspects the sedentary aspects the stress of the situation aspects environmental toxins that's another one that creates the brain inflammation that then sends the message that we've got to switch off everything because we've got to work on this
1: and i had a resurgence of people with mold illness like because if there was mold in their home and they flicked over to working from home so rather than being home for 12 hours a day they're now home for 23 hours a day apart from the one hour they went for their little 5k walk like they're in their moldy home twice as much as before and suddenly I had all these cases of mould toxicity, mould illness going on and SIRS and MCAS from people who were subjected to the mould in their homes and that was frightening as well. So, yeah, there's been, there's been a lot going on for people living you know, and working from home and don't even get me started on the human connection and and how that helps a person like i think we we haven't even started to really talk about the effects of of that i don't i think the studies it's too early to see the results of some of those studies but like we we actually need that that human connection to create certain hormones that make us feel good so then if you don't have those hormones running around, you've got more stress. If you've got more stress, you've got an impact on the immune system and round and round we go there as well.
0: Mm. There how much so of nothing. our serotonin is in the gut? Isn't it something like
1: 80%? Yeah, and GABA is yeah. made in the gut as well, which is a calming neurotransmitter. So there's a, there's a lot going on down there and mm. that's why naturopaths are always banging on about the gut and that's why if we don't know where, where else to start, we will always start with helping the person's gut because something will get better.
0: Yeah, brilliant. And so in terms of supporting the gut at home, what would you like to see as a bit of a perfect case scenario for our 80% of the
1: 80-20? I would like to see if I could, if I could press a magic button and have <laughs> anything. <laughs> Listen up, folks. <laughs> I would like to see a world where people get through a whole day without being bloated. And I'd like to see, I know it's a strange one. I'd like to see a world where bloating isn't considered normal and where it's not normalised. Now, there's a couple of things to unpack here because obviously there's a lot of beautiful Instagram accounts and body positive people who are out there helping women who've got body issues, in you know, body image issues and they are normalising bloating. Now, that is, that's is—that's one thing over there, like that's fair enough, uh, But the problem that I've got with normalising bloating is that it's reflective of there being a problem in the gut. If you're bloated, there's either a problem in the stomach, small intestine, maybe even the large intestine, probably the small intestine though. There's very likely to be some food intolerances and that you're reacting to the foods that you eat because there's the wrong types of bacteria somewhere in the gut or going back to that, downregulation regulation of digestion that we spoke about earlier, it could be that you're not digesting your food properly, and that's leading to the bloating as well. So yeah. I understand that it's on one hand, we don't want to shame anyone for being bloated because you know there's body image uh issues there to unpack. However, if you're if you are feeling bloated, like if you're going up and down a gene size during the day, like if you start the day and you could put on your skinny jeans and by the end of the day they're unbuttoned like this is not okay like this this is a sign that there's a problem in the digestion that needs to be solved and because we've normalized bloating so much it's a bit it's like all those things where they say oh that's normal you know eczema in childhood yeah. is normal <laughs> common eczema, does not mean it's normal
0: Common does not yes. mean normal or optimal. Yeah.
1: Yes. Thank you. There's mm. so many things that have been normalized in, in our community that are not normal. They're just, they're, they're in every second household, but that doesn't make it right. Like a baby having reflux. Oh, that's normal. It's normal for babies to have reflux. No, it's just really common. So, yeah, if I could see one thing. If I, could, if I could press a button and see one thing get better, it would be that because if people don't have discomfort after they eat foods, well, that means that the digestion's working better and they're eating foods that their body wants and then we're on the path to actually having a better digestive system. So it's not like notice I haven't even mentioned any herbs or supplements or anything yet because you won't, you know, if, if you dial this in, if you get it right, you won't need them. But then the next part to unpack would be, okay, which foods are making you bloated? And if perfectly healthy foods are making you bloated, then we, again, that's when we do start to look at reaching for herbs and supplements or perhaps doing some testing first to work out where the problem lies. But, yeah, if you're starting to feel bloated after perfectly normal healthy foods such as onions or garlic or cauliflower or, you know, legumes or, you know, even grains to some extent, although that's a bit contentious and dairy as well, because like a lot of people just I, I, they just don't do well on those foods anyway. But there are there are foods out there that have been they've been accepted foods since the dawn of time, like legumes and onions and cauliflower and cabbage and fruits. So <laughs> if you're if like I've got a client at the moment, she feels bloated after she eats a banana. I'm like, OK, that is not OK. We need to, but we don't need to just take you off bananas. We need to figure out why this is happening. So, yeah, that's step one is we need to f- identify the foods and, and take them out for a while. But step two is to figure out what's going on in the first place. And it's usually some sort of bacterial overgrowth in the small intestine or somewhere else in the gut that needs to be dealt with so that you can start eating all these beautiful, amazing, mm. foods again. And so
0: when we go to a regular GP, the Availability of uh, gut testing is pretty limited. Through that, I mean, nope. you, can, you can literally <laughs> only, and that's not to poo poo any GPS listening. It's just you don't have these tools in your kit to find, you know, to do the detective work, and that's that's okay. That's why we've got all sorts of health professionals. Yeah, but um, so that's not the best place to go to take a really good thorough look at the gut because you'll only be able to look at bacteria some bacteria um and about, parasites and, yeah, and about at five that, of each yeah,
1: yeah exactly
0: very limited so what is your gold standard um because obviously not everyone can come and see you people live in different countries what should people be asking their practitioners whether they have access to
1: it really depends on where we think the problem lies so i would I would always say put that yourself in the hands of a good practitioner first and, and get them to take your case first and then talk about what sorts of gut testing there are available. If we think the problem lies in the large intestine, like if it's a, like a bacterial overgrowth in the large intestine or a parasite, then we might look at stool testing, so the old poo test. And usually I do, I, my favourite one at the moment is, is a, it's called a GI map so it's a very, very comprehensive poo test. But there are other really good ones out there as well that are, that are like just as comprehensive. It's just I really like the pretty pictures and the, the way that the results are laid out um, in this particular test because I'm a really visual person and the results I find are just super easy for me to interpret. But if I thought the problem was in the small intestine, the GI map's not going to pick that up. And most, and even the very fancy, like four hundred dollar microbiome tests, might have some markers in there that can tell you whether the person has a higher probability of having a problem in the small intestine. But it does not diagnose small intestinal bacterial overgrowth. So, if if I think the problem is in the small intestine, then I might do a SIBO test. And a SIBO test is a completely different test. You're not even testing the poo, you're testing the breath. And what you do is you put people on a really, really bland,
0: oh my God, it's awful
1: colonoscopy (laughs) style diet. I had no
0: idea how bad that would make me feel within a two day period. It was crazy.
1: But interestingly, some of my clients feel really good on the preparation diet for the SIBO test because you're taking out everything that the SIBO reacts to. It's a non-reactive, bland, white, nothing diet that's designed to stop any fermentation in the small intestine. And then they give you the liquid to drink, which is like lactulose or sometimes it'll be glucose and or fructose as well. And then you wait for two to three hours for it to ferment with those lovely small intestinal bugs and then you do the breath tests and then looking for hydrogen and methane on the breath that is actually growing in response to that that gross sugary stuff that you drank so basically you're making a person feel pretty pretty average in order to see what's going on in there that's when people start to feel bad it's for me it's usually when you when you feed them that stuff that they're like that was not a fun day so, yeah, fun. so there, there's, a, there's a hot tip for you, dear listener, if you are doing a SIBO test, do it on a day where you don't have anywhere special to be later that day.
0: I highly, oh, okay. highly concur. <laughs> 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 oh, my God, that bowl of salad that I made oh, myself wow. afterwards was just the best oh. thing in the world. And I think, <laughs> as you say, like the people who actually do end up having SIBO, SIBO will tend to. To feel better, safer, if you like, on that really bland diet. For me, it mm. was like, so it was taking the wind out of my um, sails completely and I felt awful. So yeah. it was like, oh, okay, good. Maybe I don't have this.
1: Yeah. Um, <laughs> it and also takes the joy out of your day, too. Yes. Yeah.
0: although I did find a way to make myself some little prawn nigiris um (laughs) didn't didn't get to dip them into anything but like at least I made it pretty I think it's always important to just kind of look after yourself when you have to do those bland food days and Uh, see how you might turn it into something creative
1: I think so Mm. or just see it like the, the 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 really dodgy thing that has to happen before you get the answers like I I get my clients to just keep their eyes on the goal it's like well this is good because we're in a few weeks or sometimes in a few days we'll know we'll have the answer and we'll know and then you won't have to do this again so yeah it's a means to an end yeah, it's it's never it's never a fun one to prescribe for people because it's like here yeah. it's a bit Here's of a commitment yeah. I want you to do I'm really sorry 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 yeah. it's going to be it's expensive really, really
0: and it's yeah. going to suck
1: <laughs> yeah. yeah really not, not yeah great. I'm not a good salesperson for SIBO <laughs> testing am I but I do no. I do a lot of it in clinic though because yeah. you, sometimes you really need to know what you're dealing with so you know how to adequately deal with it because there's different types of SIBO and there's different types of treatments for those different types of SIBO so it's really helpful to know and it's a person. game
0: changer if that ends up being the thing for the person
1: yes indeedy because it's it's a huge like it's a huge turnaround to like people can be living with these sorts of gut issues for decades literally decades and these are the people who say oh i've been bloated all my life like I, i i don't know i had a flat stomach when i was 20 but i don't really remember and the other one i get is people who claim to not feel bloated day to day but then when they when they do the SIBO test and they go on that bland white diet for a couple of days they go oh my god my stomach went flat I, th- I thought that was fat I didn't realize that was bloating I thought I had gained weight around the middle and then it went down on those days and that, that's when the penny drops and it's like oh my lord you've been bloated every day of your life for 30 years
0: could someone do like a a waist measurement like uh, i mean i know this sounds like a bad 80s protocol but could you do a waist measurement like start of the day waist measurement end of the day just as like a little check-in
1: you you could but i think you have to be very careful where you measure it because i don't think the bloating happens over the belly button and over the belly button is where everyone does their waist measurement the The actual, like the, where the abdomen starts to become distended is usually several inches below that. So it's sticking out further down, still above the pubic bone, but below the belly button. And so that's why we're often unbuttoning a pair of jeans if anyone you know and that's the other problem with covid is we all stopped wearing jeans right and we went mm, everything's elasticized how wonderful is life but yeah you know anyone who does still put on a pair of jeans if you're un- if they if they feel comfortable in the morning but they don't feel comfortable in the afternoon or if you're feeling like you want to pop a button mm. like, that is a sign mm. like,
0: because that wasn't
1: there this morning
0: yeah yeah that's a good guide Okay, so getting our gut health in order is yep. probably, it sounds like that's your top priority for addressing the health of the immune system.
1: And in life, I think. Yes. I'm pretty predictable.
0: Yeah, I think we can, we can move <laughs> yeah. that beyond the immune system to total body health.
1: Yeah, it's a solution to everything. Right, mm-hmm. done. Yep. So in terms of things
0: we can do at home to support eating a whole foods diet, uh you know making sure we're not sitting too much making sure we're bringing that uh stress level down a couple of times a day so that we look after our adrenals Um, one of my favorite things is legs against the wall for 10 minutes that has got to be just one of the instant healers of of um of my day it was just like okay that was just a very full-on couple of hours legs up the wall and then it just brings me right back to balance uh and that looks different for other people might be a quick walk down the shops, a bit of fresh air and, um, and a nice cup of tea. It might be doing a crossword and just getting your head out of work for 10 minutes. It might be a meditation. I don't think we have to be prescriptive, but it's just time out, relax before you go back in. Um, and then what else? Like, are there any herbs, supplements, nutrients that you tend to give people or, or say people can experiment with on their own?
1: For stress or for immunity? Immunity. There's so many. But we need to be really careful because if you don't need it, it was firstly money down the dunny, but secondly, it's your poor old kidneys and liver that have to deal with that. So I'm, I'm very careful with the way that I recommend a lot of supplements because I think people... Have been going a little bit overboard on some fronts over the last two, two and a half years. And it you can't you can't keep doing that forever. If you're needing all those supplements and herbs to boost your immune system, what step has been missed already that needed to be done so that you don't have to take that stuff? Having said that. I mean, I lined up everything this morning that I was taking and for some reason I was just inspired to count how many things were on the counter and there were nine little yeah. jars.
0: Yeah. <laughs> but yeah. that's
1: because I'm doing a bit of a gut cleanse thingy at the moment myself. Mm. As someone
0: and- recovering from SARS. Yes. I'm definitely yeah. more in the 15 to 20 vicinity of jars and, and things. But, yeah. you know, I've cut that down, believe it or not, from probably about 25, 30, five years ago when it was really bad. So yeah. I think, as you say, like, don't be taking anything you don't need, which is why checking in with practitioners is obviously the preference.
1: Yeah. But there's some things you can do. There's still mm. things you can do. Like, so now that I've just, you know, drawn a line in the sand, there. There's plenty of things you can do. I mean, vitamin C is a staple that everyone, 99.9% of people can take with no problems whatsoever. Mm -hmm. And there's definitely studies around that helping with uh, people being able to respond better when they catch viruses, et cetera. Yeah, I actually saw
0: a huge study on a, a prophylactic approach to vitamin C um and it was incredible like it was so obviously very very helpful in outcomes
1: yeah and if we become deficient like of course we're going to be absolutely in the firing line and our diets are deficient they really are like even if i looked back at what i've eaten so far today it probably didn't have enough so that's really saying something like it's very hard to get vitamin c to travel well as well in in fresh food uh fruit and veggies etc so if you're eating an orange or a lemon or something that's come from the supermarket, I mean, how many days ago was it on the tree? It's been off the tree for a while. I mean, is it still a really good nutritious source of vitamin C? We don't really know. So I think even, even the people with the best diets sometimes if they're, if, you know, it, when you look at the way and and – the way the food gets from the farm to us, like there's, that has been highlighted over the last couple of years because of all the supply chain issues that have been going on in the world. We've become more aware of how things get to us and how long it takes for things to get to us and that's, that in itself is a real eye-opener because it's like, oh, how fresh is your fresh food actually?
0: <laughs> right. So, and Yeah, mm-hmm. and the more we can localise, the more money you end up saving too with the cost of petrol at the moment as well. So it's actually beyond the freshness and the nutrition. It's also about thinking about relocalizing or hyper-localising wherever you can to cut some of those inflation yeah. um, costs out of your day-to-day.
1: And eating seasonally. Don't even mm-hmm. get me started on on people saying, "Oh, why does iceberg lettuce cost so much?" I'm like, "Well, does it grow 12 months of the year?" And actually, <laughs> given
0: you have brought up iceberg lettuce, can I just say from a nutrition perspective, very shit up. food. <laughs> it's wasted space. Shit
1: spending of $10. Oh Buy my some goodness. kale. And For ten dollars from- you'll get two bunches of kale mm. instead of one iceberg lettuce mm-hmm.
0: <laughs> and you'll get so many more nutrients. <laughs> Plus, from a climate change perspective, imagine thinking about the kinds of sizes of plots of land we would need to nourish people if iceberg lettuce was the main leafy thing they ate versus dark leafy greens. And so it is a huge waste of space uh, from a land and climate change perspective as well. And it has, I've actually got a post queued up about um, <laughs> iceberg lettuce, which probably would have gone live by the time this show goes live. But Excellent. I've I look just forward been, to seeing I've that. I've just been so shocked by how how yeah. um, how the zeitgeist is so stacked on the iceberg lettuce because fixation it right goes now. in
1: the KFC burgers. Yeah.
0: Alice, don't goodness. stop me. Back to the subject. Anyway, back to, back the, to the subject. subject. <laughs> yes. I just I had to go there because I was like, thank you for bringing that one
1: up. There's really not much in it. It's just yeah. water, really. Mm. Like, no one's ever juiced an iceberg lettuce and sold it at a at a health Mm-mm. shop, have they? No, because Mm-mm. when you juice an iceberg lettuce, it's still water. Yeah. And there I I rest my case based on that statement. Mm. I hope, I hope it can't be rebutted. Someone's gonna write to you, sorry, in advance, saying I don't <laughs> Probably too much iceberg will. juice in our health retreat. Um, <laughs> I used to do the juicing at health retreats back many, many, many years ago, and I, I remember like when you juice certain foods, like how concentrated the juice is coming out the bottom, and you'd be like, right, so that like beetroot, like how rich it comes out, and then there's other there's other things that you juice where you're just like, oh, that's just water. There's a, that's a lot of water with a little bit of color in it. It's a bit of an eye opener. Anyway, back to the supplements. Okay, can we talk about zinc? I love zinc zinc's my favorite like that's my zinc and magnesium if i had to choose to take something to a desert island and it had to be a supplement it would come down to both of those i think okay and don't make me choose between them though it's like my two favorite
0: (laughs) okay i won't i'm not going to put you in that position
1: zinc look you know i've been on your podcast many 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 moons ago talking about pyro disorder so it's probably no surprise that zinc is very high up um in terms of like my favorite nutrients but It is absolutely essential for good immune system function. And you you need it in order to be able to get over viruses as well. So it helps to shorten the duration of things. So, and it's going to help you out the other end. I mean, there's people getting things like shingles and nerve problems and all kinds of weird things coming out the other end of viruses at the moment. And I mean, what's one of the things we give people for shingles? It's always been zinc. So if you're low in zinc, like that's when you can, you know, you've got the the bigger risk of having other outcomes like, and other side effects coming from these things, secondary infections, those sorts of things like zinc can help to hopefully prevent some of those things or at least lessen the risk. So there's no, there's no magic nutrient. There's nothing I can give you. That's going to guarantee that you don't get sick and that you don't get a secondary infection. You don't get side effects and rah blah, blah. But there's definitely things that we can do now. The problem with zinc is the dose. Yes, so,
0: and the type. People get really oh, confused. Yeah, you know, it's not the citrate. thing you want to just jump into chemist's warehouse and grab the cheapest no, please, ones.
1: Please don't, because mm. I'll guarantee you that cheap one is going to be a some sort of shonky, not very well absorbed version. I love bit of citrate. I love picolinate. Uh, what's the other one? Amino acid chelate, um, even gluconate. Like th- those are those are all. Well absorbed. Notice they all end in ATE, so they're easy to remember as well. So these these are forms of zinc that are newer in terms of like they weren't around thirty years ago. They're better absorbed. Uh, they're a little bit more expensive to produce, which means they do cost more when you buy them. But if something is too cheap, it's too cheap for a reason. And so if you're seeing like zinc oxide and chlorine phosphate, and those sorts of things, like ugh, please don't buy them. They're not really going to work. With that well compared to these new and improved versions so yeah thus endeth the zinc rant but also dosage uh dosage is going to differ depending on how deficient a person is now i'm happy for most people and i'll say most people to go up to 50 milligrams a day in total however i don't go over that with a person until i've done a zinc blood test so a serum zinc test And you need to be off your zinc for five days prior to doing said serum zinc test. Otherwise, you'll get a falsely elevated reading potentially. So, yeah, get off your zinc for five days, do a blood test, have a look at that reading, show it to your practitioner and let them guide you in how much zinc you take. But, yeah, most people sort of 25 to 30 milligrams daily um, is like a normal dose that you'll see in a health food shop product. Uh, most practitioners, if they suspect or know their people are zinc deficient or if they need some zinc um, quickly, we might do 25 milligrams twice a day or 50 milligrams once a day, depending on the person. But I don't go over that until I know what I'm dealing with. Because remember, it's like your poor old liver and kidneys are the ones that have to deal with the excess zinc. And zinc is a metal. And so we all know not to take too much iron. We all know not to give iron to a person who doesn't need it well zinc is a metal too so we need to respect the zinc and test for the zinc and then have a look at the test results because it's really hard to get a gp to test for zinc because they don't understand the ramifications of zinc being low so i've even had this conversation with my gp because i've got i don't have an integrative gp i just have a normal gp shock horror um because i well, you're the that,
0: integrative part yeah i fun. know
1: Well, <laughs> i i actually see i actually see other naturopaths if i need to see a naturopath i will book in with a naturopath because i don't think anyone should treat themselves not even like the, the you know not even the good naturopaths so yeah i put myself in the hands of someone else when i need to but yeah i then just go and see a normal gp and she we had a very respectful because i'm very nice usually, but we had a very respectful chat about whether or not she could do my zinc on Medicare and she, in the end, decided not to and I had to be okay with that. But it was based on the fact that she said even if it comes back low, she said, and this is what she said, I don't know what to do. I don't know what that means and I don't know what to do. So if I don't know why I need to be testing your zinc, I can't can't, in all good conscience test it. And at which point I went, that's okay. It's only going to cost me $90 to go and test it on my own. I was just hoping you'd chuck it on for me because, you know, Medicare. So, yeah, they, these are the conversations that, that, like, you can have with your GP. But remember, like, even if they do test your zinc and it comes back with a reference range, that reference range is very different to a, one, to a reference range a naturopath will have sitting in front of them. Yeah. So well, think-
0: because that is the average of the human population, the reference range, mm-hmm. yep. what normal is, but that doesn't mean that's optimal.
1: Yeah. And also, when you fall down outside that reference range, it means you're usually pretty sick already. Mm-hmm. So, if, and we're talking, when we're talking about recovery from viruses and getting immune systems humming along really well, we're talking about optimal reference ranges, we're talking about optimal levels of nutrients. So, even if your zinc is inside the Australian reference range, that might be. Which is a, what? That's, that's 10 to 18 nine, or something? Yeah, 9 to mm. 19. Or it depends yeah. on the lab in Australia yeah, yeah, as yeah. well. Mm. Yeah, but I saw one the other day that was 9 to 19 and I was like, oh, my God. So if Pretty broad. Nine point one. <laughs> yeah, they they're going to get told their zinc is okay. Now, if your zinc is 9.1, I'll tell you right now, you're already going to be feeling very ill. So if a person's zinc is less than 13, I will give them zinc. And optimal, like if you ask most naturopaths, they'll tell you optimal is somewhere around sort of 16 to 19. But, yeah, it's usually I start throwing zinc at a person when it, when it falls below 13. If, they befall, if they're falling below like 12 or 11, I'm like, oh, my Lord, let's back the truck up. Slowly, though, that's a whole other chat. You don't want to pour heaps of zinc into a person really quickly because you can uh, upset their copper balance, et cetera, et cetera. So it really should be done under the under the guidance of a very good professional who's dealt with these sorts of things before, yada, yada, yada. Please don't go from zero to heroic doses with zinc. Um, yeah. <laughs> so good advice. Yeah, please don't do that because that'll be the worst three days of your life if you upset your copper balance. So look, you... That's the thing with these reference ranges in Australia. You can be told your levels are fine when they're not. And like iron is needed for good immunity, right? You need iron to build a a healthy immune system. But ferritin, which is your stored iron, is one of the ones that's often tested. And often like a GP won't do anything if it's sitting in the 40s because it's still within the reference range. Now, I've had a ferritin of 42, and, oh, lordy, I couldn't, I was out of breath walking up a hill. And then I went to the doctor and I said, could I please get my iron tested because I was out of breath walking up a hill. And, you know, I have periods and, they're, you know, like I think I need to just check, like menstruating female, blah, blah, blah. And um, the doctor came back the next week and said, this is why I just pay for my own test now. But doctor came back and said, "Ferritin's fine. And I said, could I please have a copy of those results? And so I got a copy of the results and what I saw in front of me was really not fine. It was at 42. So I went away and I took iron for a couple of months and then I wasn't out of breath when I walked up hills. Also, my hair grew back stronger and my nails got better. And then of course, there's a follow-on effect there for your immune system as well. So. Again, like there's, there's the level it needs to fall below where they will consider you to be very deficient and you need a supplement. But then there's that beautiful grey area between there and Optimum where we can, we've got so much good stuff we can do in that space.
0: So. Mm, absolutely. And I think if one can afford it, uh, our GPs in, in this country are unfortunately under a huge amount of pressure at the moment to not yes. test unless yes. it is absolutely critical and even
1: vitamin d
0: it's awful absolutely awful <gasps> what like, they're like experiencing vitamin mm-hmm. d
1: and was it iodine or there was a couple that were an iron i think was yeah as well. i was like
0: key immune
1: eating me tests in this that would day? really you know, help their with patients this virus too. going yeah. around yeah. we're yeah. going to cut the vitamin d testing now mm. with mm. all of this going on even Please. though there's studies overseas that show that that poor vitamin D status results in higher hospitalizations from COVID. Like there's literally, if you Google vitamin D and COVID and you go into, you know, find PubMed articles, like Mm -hmm. there's literally study after study after study showing that if your vitamin D status is low, you're in the firing line for having problems when you catch things. Yeah. So, and we're going to cut the testing now. Mm -hmm. okay so this is a really
0: good time (laughs) for some civil action very gentle very easy i'm going to put it in the show notes the exact little email with a couple of links to the studies and what the uk is doing on vitamin d testing and calling for your local state and federal mp so that everybody gets the message no one's telepathic, you know, and none of these people have studied naturopathy for, no, gosh, They're sake. down a whole bunch so, of other
1: rabbit holes trying to do exactly. their jobs, right? Yeah, that's it. They're so, just, we're, this civil action is just to help them mm-hmm. to, to see something that they didn't notice before. That's That's all. it,
0: exactly. Yeah. And I think I said this at a talk I gave in on the Gold Coast recently. If you are prepared to bitch about something on social media, then you have to be prepared to match that effort with a real life changing something, anything, Uh, uh, you know. So if it's climate change, then it's uh, getting yourself a worm farm if you're not doing that already or if it's, you know, whatever. But we have to start matching the online with actual physical change. So, yeah, vitamin D, I'm a huge proponent for that. That change in terms yeah. of our public health. So, but
1: again, I've seen yeah. people giving themselves heroic doses over the last two, two and a half years when they didn't need to, as mm-hmm. well. And then again, it's their poor old kidneys that have to deal with that. So, like, they, they, that's why it's just so important if you can afford it to test, and if you can't afford it to stick to like more conservative doses or more standard doses so as not to upset the apple cart in other ways.
0: Yeah. What it says on the back of the pack is yeah. what we can do at home. That's yeah. always my <laughs> suggestion. You know. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's there for a safety reason. And then if you, want, yeah. if you think actually it's just not hitting the mark, then you have to see someone because yeah. it can be very dangerous to overdo it.
1: More is not necessarily better in everyone. Mm. Otherwise, we'd already all be doing it and we'd mm. all be thriving from it. And the fact that people land in, you know, in my appointment books needing help, even though they've been doing all these things, these things tells me that it's not the answer. Yeah, and that there's other things at play here. Mm-hmm.
0: We're going to go back to the gut, aren't we? Usually. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Gut <cool>.
1: Environment. So <laughs> conservative stress.
0: doses of D zinc uh, C. Um, Are there any herbal blends that you really like? I know Armour Forces, All the Rage. Um, There are some really interesting Australian brands coming out. Um, Yeah.
1: Look, I I don't normally speak to brands so mm. much as ingredients. And, again, it depends on whether you're trying to build general immunity or whether you're trying to recover from something. Now, let's stick with
0: build for now because I definitely Mm. want to talk recovery next.
1: Yeah, if, if you're building, then the, the beautiful standard general ones like, you know, your Echinacea, etc., are really good. They're now starting to shy away from recommending Andrographis. And mm-hmm. Andro and Echinacea are both in Armour Force. Uh, but Andro, they're starting to, for the, it's a long story and we won't go into it, but they've started to backpedal about recommending that every day as a prophylactic measure Mm. and instead they're starting to say that andrographis is amazing if you've got symptoms of illness yeah so So that that one we
0: save for save the day
1: yeah but like i i've got people who take echinacea ongoing all the time and like it's it does other things so fun fact besides building immunity echinacea is also adaptogenic which helps your body to cope with stress like who knew so yeah it's not just an immune booster it's an adaptogen it does all these other things and so they're like i know people who've taken echinacea every day of their life pretty much so they're, you know, they're still thriving so those sorts of things are great if you've got a history of post viral fatigue like <clears throat> i myself had major problems when I had glandular fever, a.k.a. Epstein-Barr virus when I was young. And so uh, it's part of the reason that I'm a naturopath is because I was like this sickly child who didn't thrive and rah, rah, rah. But one of the things that was underpinning that whole issue when I was a kid, besides the gut, Alex, because of course Mm. it was gut, Um, (laughs) but it was also that I had this really full-on bout of glandular fever that then actually had a relapse again the next year and I had this post viral <clears throat> excuse me I'm a bit croaky post viral syndrome or post viral fatigue and that I think that set me up for a lot of problems down the track and I was always one of those fatiguey type people who would tap out you know when I was stressed or like couldn't didn't thrive physically as well like couldn't run long distances or anything like that as well and so like I knew there was that level of like I now know it was like mitochondrial dysfunction there was a there was a lot going on post virally so if you're one of those people there's definitely a good case for getting on the front foot even as a preventative measure and so that's when I start looking towards things like astragalus as well and mushrooms like your medicinal mushrooms which in some in some people you wouldn't give it to them until they'd already been sick but in these sorts of cases when you know you're that person who's going to suffer when you catch something because you always have or maybe you've had ross river last year or you know cytomegalovirus a few years ago or glandular fever a bit further ago if you know you're that person then that these are some herbs and things that you can look at. And there's some beautiful sort of astragalus and mushroom formulations that you can get where you actually get them both in the same product as well, which is like excellent. And so there, there's some really easy ones that you can start to look towards. And look, it's funny because things like echinacea even, it like hasn't it hasn't had the front centre stage with COVID because people were looking for, all these other kind of exotic herbs I think they were looking for the fix they were were looking for what's the magic herb that's going to fix this and then they realized there is no exact magic herb that's going to fix this but echinacea is a funny one because it hasn't been featured strongly in the blog posts and the podcasts and everything but if you look at the literature if you start reading studies there's plenty of evidence it's just it's not that it's not sexy because we all knew about yeah, it already. Yeah, it's not the sexy yeah. one. It's the one you give the kids. Yeah, but yeah, it works on adults too. So yeah, think herbs like that. Like unless you've unless you're on medications or you've got other underlying health conditions, so you need to actually speak to a practitioner if you're on like if you're on any medications because obviously lots of drug herb interactions out there in the world Mm. and I can't speak and say that this is going to be perfect for you if you're taking some med that I don't know about but yeah most of the time in most people those sorts of herbs they're very widely sold over the counter and they're they're, you know they're deemed as safe for most people yeah Um, I start to look towards a lot of the antivirals like once a person's caught something
0: Okay, cool. So I don't let's, tend
1: to do them so much as prophylactics because it's like, well, how long are you going to take it for? Yeah. Till the 12th of never? Like when are we taking this till now? Because this is always going to be here.
0: Mm-hmm. That's it. And so, yeah, so we really need to like, w- would you say um, it's like we keep the zinc DC levels in check and we take good small doses of it and that's fine as a prophylactic. but yeah.
1: unless you're it- deficient unless you're deficient
0: and then you know, and then we'll you'd guide have more. you
1: through some mega doses mega
0: doses yes <laughs> um yeah my son's on 60 milligrams and that keeps his levels around 16 like that's yep. you know that's yeah. what he needs uh and yep. i'm quite similar at, at um i think it's 40 or something but yeah and yeah.
1: I've, I've been on 100 milligrams of zinc most days like i'll probably have two days a week where i'll take 50 that are, i'll take 100 milligrams of zinc most days in 250 milligram doses but that's because i've got some problems with absorbing zinc that because there's these underlying issues but also what i've been looking at recently i don't know why i end up down these rabbit holes but there's there was a podcast i did recently where we talked about the way that iron was absorbed and it got me thinking because iron is absorbed in the place in the small intestine called the brush border okay and I learned about this when, when I interviewed Rebecca Edwards and she was like this, she's like this super nerd who talks about the actual biochemical mechanisms of iron absorption, but she makes it sound like a Disney movie. And then suddenly you finally I love get that. it. <laughs> After years and years of thinking that you yeah. hated biochemistry, you finally get it. And it's like, yeah. Oh my Lord, thank you so much. So anyway, so when I realized like, you know, the mechanisms of iron absorption and where it's absorbed. And then we talked about what happens if a person's got bacterial overgrowth or inflammation in the small intestine? Like, how does that iron get across? Like, of course it doesn't get across easily. And so that got me thinking, all these people I have to give mega doses of zinc to, why do they need the mega doses of zinc? Is it because like, so Jules of course goes away and Googles, where is zinc absorbed in small intestine? I, I think I Googled like zinc brush border, Small intestine go. Yep. So the conclusion I've come to is even, and and that's why I'm now doing like this gut stuff on myself. Circled back around, I'm like, all right, I think I need to do some work on my own small intestine because like we need to be ever vigilant. But I really now I'm starting to look at all of these clients who need these mega doses of zinc. It's like, okay, what's going on in your small intestine? that's requiring you to have to dose this high. Like why mm. aren't you absorbing it?
0: Yeah, to so, just get by kind of thing. Yeah.
1: Yeah, because if the, if, the, if the lower doses aren't getting through, why aren't they getting through? Okay, we must have some inflammation or bacterial issue or something going on there or some damage there that's preventing the absorption of all these beautiful nutrients. And it's not going to be just zinc and iron. Like it's going to be a whole host of other nutrients as well. Uh, yeah, that's the, that was the rabbit hole I was down that weekend, last week. Yeah, weekend. wow. <laughs> it's a, it's I a, a really good one fun life. No, but it, it's No, <laughs> you do
0: have a fun life because then you learn this stuff and you're able to help so many people. But what I find mm-hmm. fascinating about that is absolutely we should be asking ourselves a question. If you have to take a ton, like a mega dose of something all the time, why, you know, is someone mm-hmm. helping you figure that out?
1: Yeah, what mm. cofactor do you need to make that nutrient absorb? Mm-hmm. Like if you have to throw iron at a person all the time, is it because they've got a B12 deficiency that's preventing their absorption of the iron mm. and so on? So there's so much to unpack if, if you do need mega doses. Uh, so, yeah, but like I, I do have several clients who are all on 100 milligrams of zinc over, you know, in two 50 milligram doses over the course of the day. They're all going to be having their small intestines looked at, aren't they? <laughs> yeah,
0: absolutely. Wow. Okay, Jules, I want to talk about post viral fatigue. It's something that those of us, you've mentioned glandular. I was the same as a kid. I became quite sickly, quite tired all the time, much more likely to opt out rather than opt into things. Definitely couldn't run long distances. Um, and millions of people around the world are now experiencing this for the first time as if it was something completely new yet those of us who've had viruses in the past and who have had post-viral fatigue have been trying to make noise about post-viral fatigue. I know now
1: you believe us Mm
0: -hmm. and so (laughs) this is a real issue because it's hit the population in such a fast fashion over a small period of time maybe that's what the world needed to actually recognize this but unfortunately we're not seeing a huge amount of innovation in terms of um, protocols and support for people yet in terms of the mainstream Uh, drug companies are of course trying to rush to the finish line with options that are highly profitable you know power to them if they find something that's great but there's so many things we can do right now that exist
1: and I'd like to
0: talk about that because a lot of people need help Can we start by how do you know you've got a post-viral issue, whether we call that long COVID or whether we call that persistent glandular symptoms, you know, whatever virus someone's had, what are some of the ways it plays out? It's not obviously just fatigue.
1: No. And I think actually that's the biggest problem with this whole thing. And it's the biggest problem with post-viral fatigue and post-viral syndrome that's been happening for decades is there is no one symptom that you can use as your tick box whether you've got it or not it's it's a group of symptoms and so for one person it might be persistent fatigue but for another it could be brain fog or for another it could be gut issues and so there's there's so many different symptoms and i mean you can google post viral fatigue or long COVID you can get like a beautiful long list of symptoms and start ticking the boxes yourself but it's it comes down to the severity of the symptoms the persistence of the symptoms and also the effect that it's happened having on your quality of life or just living your life so if you can't do things that you were able to do before you got sick now you can't do them well we've got a problem because that shouldn't be happening but I think where, where it becomes quite complicated and complex is that this time around we're not just seeing post-viral symptoms and post-viral fatigue. So we're not just seeing the fatigue and the brain fog and that feeling really blah all the time or needing naps in the afternoon. We're not just seeing that. We're also seeing like this massive increase in inflammation and also Uh, autoimmunity so people developing autoimmune diseases where they didn't realize they had one before and people who have existing autoimmune diseases that are becoming worse or they're going into flare after they've had a virus so there's so many different facets to this and That's why it's such a hard thing to diagnose because it's going to be different for every single person out there. But if your level of fatigue or your level of pain or your level of inflammation is worse, persistently worse, then it needs to be looked at. And I'm talking like you, with any of these viruses, like whether it's the flu or whether it's COVID or whatever at the moment, like there's so many viruses around, like you should still recover well afterwards. Like you should, you know, you should be able to get in, get out. Like we're talking, you know, two to three weeks is is a very normal amount of time for people to have to rest up. And if you need to rest up more than that, past that sort of two to three weeks, like that's great, definitely do so. But also know that that is not normal. that's where you start like if if that that's why when clients come to me uh they and they're they're kind of panicking because they'll i'll get the email i'm getting them every day literally
0: every day i I had a girlfriend just tell me yesterday i I still can't taste anything properly
1: yeah oh yeah
0: well and that wasn't um covid that was actually just a massive flu that she had
1: yeah mm. yeah and that's the thing other mm. viruses have done these things before and mm-hmm. now it's like oh oh covid causes a loss of taste and smell yes but this is not the first time this has happened with a virus yeah so yeah this it's just that now it's really known and a lot of people have that symptom by the way that's a neuroinflammation symptom. exactly yes um, yeah and i would mm. be straight onto the pea uh, but anyway, mm. uh, we digress. Um, but, <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, if, if you've got symptoms that are lasting for more than two weeks, that's, that's when I start to think, okay, you're not pulling out of this. But I've got clients who are like literally emailing me every day going, I've just caught it or my partner or my kids or someone in my household has just caught it. What do I do? And I'm like, well, right now, I send them to the health food shop because if I get the supplements posted to them from my supplier, it's going to take too long, right? could take two to three days. Uh, So I actually just say, look, this is what you get at your local pharmacy or health food shop. Like You get your zinc, your vitamin C, take some quercetin perhaps, uh, a few things like that. If you've lost your taste and smell, like there's an over-the-counter brand of PEA that I know about now that I'll, I'll tell people about if they need it right now today. But the good work needs to have been done before you realise someone in your house is sick. This is the problem. If you're emailing me going crap, 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 shit, 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 like (laughs) I've got COVID, I'm on day one, I'm like, "Uh did you not think this was going to happen? Like, yeah. yeah. We need to be thinking further in advance than, than that point because once you're once you're at that exact point, like really, like we at that point, take some zinc, take some vitamin C, take some quercetin, but also we've just got to see how this pans out over the next one to two weeks. And, that's, and so they get the standard email back from me now going, well, take this, this, and this. However, just see how you go for a week or two. If your fatigue is, is like ridiculously high in a week from now, let me know. If you start to experience weird pain, weird sensations, loss of taste and smell, those sorts of things, like if you start to see a rise in your old autoimmune symptoms, blah, 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 let me know immediately and we'll do something to get that inflammation down. But also it's... It's been quite random which people progress on to having long-haul symptoms and which people don't. We don't know enough about what we're dealing with Yeah, yet.
0: young, old, mild infection, big infection. It's, it's, it's,
1: it's not, not very discriminatory, is it? Yeah, No, and some of the most robust people I knew were suffering a lot and some of the people I was really concerned about, like some of my real histamine MCAS sort of people, were through. And then I'm like, we know nothing, right? We can do a lot of guesswork. We've got supplements and herbs that we can bring to the party that are a, like we know that they're a, a good bet, but we don't, we don't know enough about who needs what or who's going to suffer more or why. And I think there's a lot more going on, like in terms of diet, inflammation, blood sugar, et cetera, that are determining some of these outcomes as well. And also mitochondrial function, like there's a, the, the mitochondria, they're going to be the new fashionable thing to talk about over the next six to 12 months, because they're, they're your little, that's, that's where your energy is being made. And so if you've got fatigue, we need to be looking at what's going on there. And there's, yeah, there's herbs and supplements that are definite front runners for helping with mitochondrial function. You know, we were talking about this before we hit record, you know, things like CoQ10. um, There's special types of B3 that you can take now. There's one called um, nicotinamide riboside that you can get through practitioners in Australia that increases something called NAD plus in the body that is like the new fancy, amazing thing for mitochondrial function. Like there's definitely herbs and supplements, uh, but it's not just about supplements as well. Like there's a beautiful antiviral herb called Japanese knotweed that I've been using in a lot of my post viral mixes and I used it on myself. And I noticed a massive difference when I took that. Turns out that increases NAD plus production. Because I was looking, because I've started taking nicotinamide riboside just for fun, just to mm. see what happened. <laughs> because I'm I've a got this big <laughs>
0: fan. Oh my gosh! Yeah. I really noticed the difference.
1: Well, I think uh, you know, like both of us have had problems with mold in the past. Although yours was definitely way more disastrous. Um, but we've both got viral issues in the past as well, with that kind of pulling up quite rough from viruses. And so there's definitely a case for supporting mitochondria there. And, um, and I thought, oh, I'll give this a go because I've had like some, you know, some issues with exercise intolerance when I was doing cardio at the gym. So I thought, I'll give this a go. And when I started reading about NAD+, there was a whole section about Japanese knotweed and how it helps to improve NAD+, levels in the body. I'm like, that's in our post-viral fatigue mixes. Of course it is. Like it's not just an antiviral herb. does this like hello thanks nature (laughs) you do more than one thing that's awesome we'll put you in the bottle with the astragalus and the cat's claw and the other things but yeah it's it's amazing now that some of these herbs that we've been using for hundreds and maybe even thousands of years when when science has a new look at them with fresh eyes and and some fresh technology turns out what do you know
0: (laughs) Yeah, incredible. <laughs>
1: they do these. They do these extra things that. Now- well, yeah,
0: and those olden day um, terms for benefits would have been like improves the robustness of the constitution. Yes. It would have been put that way <laughs> because that's what it did. <laughs> yes. But now we need to get sciencey, and I mean that is one of the best things about the the um, the explosion of growth in nutraceuticals is that they're obviously wanting to fund that kind of science so we understand these compounds better and where we can get them from.
1: But the scary thing is, I mean, it could work out really well for some people if they've tried everything else and nothing else works. But the, the, the scary thing that I see is that when you read some of these articles about, you know, mitochondrial dysfunction and, and which, you know, how we're going to tackle that in terms of, like, long, long viral symptoms... They're talking about drugs. They're talking about developing drugs. Okay, well, yeah, we know it's about creating more NAD plus because of this pathway and this chain of reactions that happens. So we're looking for a drug that does that. And I'm like, have we tried them on some B3 and Japanese knotweed first, or are we going straight to the drugs? Because if we're going straight to the drugs, I really believe we've missed a step. And Absolutely go to the drugs if you need to, if nothing else has worked. But I think we need to try the everything else first. And there's lots of amazing everything else's out there that are emerging with like, like Japanese, not weird, which are emerging with new information about mm-hmm. why they work. We're always yeah, that they it. worked, but now we know why. And I think unfortunately,
0: because of that polarization that's happened in the viral conversation world and um, censorship around basic health protocols. Um, you don't have to be pro or anti anything to understand that it's a real shame that practitioners who know how to help people aren't allowed to speak um, about certain compounds. Uh, that's um, just sad. There's nothing controversial about that. It's just really freaking sad and unfair. And I think this is another one that, you know, um, showing those studies and, Talking to your GP and saying, "Look, I'm not just saying you don't know anything." Um, my naturopath's looking after me, but come with the evidence. Bring a couple of research papers. People sometimes will be curious, and this is how we're going to change that conversation. Just getting more and more people to be a part of the conversation in the first place.
1: Doctors love evidence. They if you do want to. If you want to convince a doctor of anything, show them the evidence. But doctors also know how to read studies. So it has to be good evidence. It can't be some study that was done out the back of beyond with five people, no. right? It needs to be <laughs> yeah. and it can't be funded by some dodgy company. Like, and, and if it's done on people, it's going to fare better than if it was done on, on animals. But, like, there's a lot of animal studies out there. But um, at the end of the day, if you want to have a good conversation with a doctor and you want to change the way that they think, go in with the evidence and just say, look, you know, here's here's something you can have a read of in your own time. Now, some of them will want to read about it, and some of them won't, and that's okay. Work with the ones who are curious and who do want to read the stuff. That's great. There's a what was the marker? I had I had a client come to me a few days ago, and her reverse T3 was off the charts oh really and she had that'd advocated... actually be a really
0: good thing to test if you've got mm. post-viral syndrome wouldn't it
1: mm. interesting yeah. concept anyone out there who's done their reverse t3 lately let us know mm. um so any, i had a client who had like she'd had uh, her tsh done a t4 t3 but and we're talking the... about
0: thyroid markers thyroid, by the way yep. for the newbies yep
1: yes So it was all a bit inconclusive, like it was kind of like a little bit not quite right, but not outside of range. And she advocated really well for herself. And she got her GP to test her reverse T3 and her reverse T3 was super high, which basically means that uh, there's probably some stress or problem that's causing you to create this reverse T3 instead of creating T3, which is an active thyroid hormone. So it means that your T4 might look okay, but your T4 to T3 conversion is probably going to be crap all up because you it's going over to make reverse T3 instead. So she went back to the doctor and she's like, right, well, we found the problem. The reverse T3 is really high. And the doctor said, I don't know what to do about that. I don't actually, I don't, I, I don't know anything about that. So I'm just going to ignore it. Mm. So she found a new doctor. <laughs> mm-hmm. Good decision. Yeah. But, yeah, like a, a curious GP might have said, okay, well, have you got some evidence about what this means? And if, if she had turned up to a curious GP and said, here's an article in a, in a journal about reverse T3 and why it's important to know about this, like then they can have a conversation. But if you're not turning up speaking their language and their language is evidence, if you're not turning up and speaking their language, you're going to end up with a battle on your hands where you're going to feel like they don't listen to you and they're going to feel like you're just throwing all these crazy ideas at them that you've learned off the internet. So, yeah, we've got to learn to speak their language and their language is evidence. And then once we are speaking that language, like there are many curious, intelligent, very thoughtful, caring doctors out there who want to learn. And that, that's what true science is. True science is being curious and having conversations and throwing around ideas and then testing them.
0: Mm, exactly and i think um jules it's everyone's baseline should be having decent evidence (laughs) like you know we we've all got it now it's it's there on the internet to be garnered and shared so if we lead with evidence um it's it's certainly going to help the conversation back towards nuance which is what's really important right now
1: and i know it's frustrating because i know that for many decades there have been herbs and supplements and therapies, even lifestyle and diet and those sorts of things. There've been things that naturopaths have been doing for many, many decades that we knew worked, but there wasn't any evidence and no one believed us. No one was interested. Like, the, they, like it was, it, we've, we felt for, the, for decades like we've been banging our head against brick walls, even with things like echinacea, like going, okay, well, echinacea improves your immunity. Well, we don't have any evidence to suggest that. So, no, it does not. And then we would come back and say, but, but, but we've got all this anecdotal evidence to show that you give it to people and then they get sick less often. And then when they do get sick, it's not as bad. Like they don't have secondary infections and blah, blah, blah. Yes, but we don't have any evidence. That's called anecdotal evidence. That doesn't wash. All right. What if we find some blood markers of these, you know, so I think what they ended up doing, don't quote me, but I think they tested T cells or something in the blood. They tested these markers in the blood before giving echinacea for a period of time and then after giving echinacea for a period of time. And then they noticed that certain blood markers went up. Right. Now we've got evidence. Now we can believe, now we can accept that echinacea actually does have an impact on the immune system. Everyone rejoice. Echinacea is now in the evidence club. Right. Astragalus, what have you got? Let's have a look at you. So then mushrooms, like we now know there's like literally there's evidence to show how mushrooms work in the in the body by testing markers in the bloodstream and showing the impact that it has on the immune system. Um, so that's great. Like if you can show that it changes a blood marker, if it changes white blood cell counts, if it changes you know inflammation levels for the better, if it's something we can measure, awesome, you get to be in the evidence club. It But it takes so much time. I think there's still that sort of, collective trauma in my industry of feeling like we bashed our head against a brick wall for decades and that nobody believed us and oh now you want to talk about the microbiome Oh, now you want to talk about gut bugs Oh, now you're into interested in the link between the the stress and the its effect on gut function Oh, now you believe there's a gut brain connection um, so there was just there's just been a, about a decade of naturopaths sitting around saying i told you so but also we have to get over that now and, and all move on together because we are all trying to be on the same page now.
0: Yeah, and that's it. The, the and I way... think, sorry, say
1: No, I, just, your... I think the best way to be on the same page is to learn to speak a common language together.
0: Yeah, 100%. And we can't forget how beholden doctors are to uh, associations um, and very strictly um, guarded and run associations Bound that are unfortunately by. <laughs> also very heavily yeah. instru- in- influenced by pharmaceutical companies and you know uh, people get so and i get frustrated as well and they're like but i just want to you know i'm just angry all the time it's like well we've actually just got to recognize that the most one of the most important things we can do is dismantle the hold that any industry has over politicians if we can do that Um, at the grassroots and start finding those people to vote for that aren't beholden in any way Um, there are a few and it's kind of like shopping regenerative it gives more farmers a confidence to transition we need to do the same thing with politicians otherwise we're always going to end up angry and upset that industries have a hold over government
1: yep and And I think we we need to make sure we don't tar all doctors with the same brush as well because they're I've noticed a massive shift in the last five years and especially the last two years in terms of GPs wanting to collaborate. And so I've been on the phone this morning with a GP already uh, and we had a three-way conversation. He had our collective patient in with him and then he popped me on speaker. And so that's the sort of thing that I want to be doing more of. And how special for everybody
0: to be on the same team rooting for someone's health. That's what being a health practitioner is.
1: Yep. And she Mm. is stoked because she feels extremely well supported and she knows that both the practitioners are on the same page, which means we won't do anything that contradicts what the other's doing because that's always my concern as a naturopath is if I don't know what your GP's doing and they don't know what I'm doing, how do we make sure that we don't actually accidentally mess up each other's plans? So we need to find a way to collaborate so that we actually move this case forward without interrupting each other's flow as well. And, and like this, this conversation I had this morning is becoming more common. Like I had, I had another similar one about two weeks ago with another doctor who's treating a client of mine for a tick-borne illness because um, yeah, she had like a Borrelia infection. And I was like, you're going off to this bloke because I know I trust, uh, I trust his work and I know that he gets good results. And so then I was chatting with him on the phone. So it is happening. It's happening. at so a good, case, Jules. Thank you happening. for letting
0: us know that. Cause a lot of people sometimes think, Oh my gosh, is it ever going to happen? But no, they're is.
1: out there and it is increasing. Like I've, honestly noticed a very big shift in the last couple of years. It's mm. gradual, but it's happening. Nice. Yeah, we will get there.
0: We will. Uh, so just to recap on best things to turn to for post viral syndromes, whether that be fatigue or brain inflammation, uh, you mentioned NAD plus, you mentioned CoQ10. Is it again a case of finding a supplement and sticking to what's on the back of the packet? before you decide to chat to a practitioner?
1: Uh, I would always say chat to the practitioner first. Yeah. If you've got okay. post-viral fatigue, this is a deeper issue. Like why have you got the post-viral fatigue? We need to get to the root cause of what's going on. So there's definitely, I, I think, you know, CoQ10, NAD+, plus, those sorts of things aside, I think there's some really basic things you can try first, especially if you're waiting to see someone. So I would say get on a good antiviral. Like you can, most health food shops have naturopaths in them, right? If they're not mixing liquid herbs, they've probably got some really good kick-ass herbal formulas lying around behind the counter as well. So a lot of them do have some practitioner-only products behind the counter too. And some of those naturopaths are freshly minted naturopaths. Now, as soon as you think, okay, like that person's first year out of college, like what can they possibly know? They know everything because yeah. they learned it last year. <laughs> if they're I love in how you say that. January, yeah. <laughs> they, they learned it in November, Yeah, right? So these freshly minted naturopaths actually have amazing knowledge and, re- and the most recent information, right? They're chomping at the bit for information. So, yeah, definitely... Don't discount what they can do for you in these sorts of situations. So go and, and, and they will check your drug herb interactions for you as well to make sure it's all safe so that you're not plucking something off iHerb and, and having it interact with what you're already on. Because if you're on any sort of medications, please stop and see someone. Do not screw that up. Um, so, yeah, go and see someone get on a good antiviral mix. If you've got, neuro, like, neurological kind of um, what we call neuroinflammatory symptoms... Such as the loss of taste and smell. I know when I had COVID, I felt like I was lying on a bed of nails for about two or three days. Mm, That that hot back
0: syndrome. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Hot back Mm. in a million points. That Mm -hmm. was not fun. Um, So, but, and I, and, and I know I lost my taste and smell for one day, but then I hit the PEA really hard and got rid of it yeah um so yeah i'm and I'm you've mentioned pea three times now so can oh, you just seriously that's coming to the desert island too like what is it what is it and um, just so that
0: people can do some hunting
1: okay now i have to say it are you ready so it's it's <laughs> pea stands for <laughs> no i can't do it now if you laugh <laughs> it stands for straight face straight face um ethanol ethanolamide yeah now it's also been called Palmitrol in some products and it's making itself into the mainstream in, in some of the sort of mainstream pain products. Now there's studies around 300 milligrams twice daily of PEA showing really good results in um, post-COVID loss of taste and smell. So um, bringing it back faster. Uh, it's, it's any sort of nervy, sort of shingly, nervy, shooting Numbness, any kind of weird nerve pain stuff. So uh, that's that's a really good one to look out for. But again, like you shouldn't have to do it forever. Um, turmeric, curcumin, turmeric is another one you you can do quite high doses of that, and that's really good for sort of pain and inflammation as well. So both of these products are pain and inflam, and you could do them for like one to two weeks along with some antivirals and whatnot. And see how you're going, right? That's like your bog standard. Go to the health food shop, speak to a naturopath, get on board with some of those things and see how you go. If you're not getting any better, then we need to start looking at what else is going on. Does the person have some sort of underlying health issue that's holding up their recovery or making them feel worse? So, is there an underlying, if a person's got neuroinflammation going on, what else? contributes to neuroinflammation like yeah Alex I'm pretty sure you're across this one <laughs> are mate. they living in mold are what? they living in mold <laughs> have they been bitten by a tick have they swum in blue green algae have they been exposed to heavy metals like have they been bitten by a spider or a snake like there's there's yeah but mold's the most common one and so they might not even know they're living in a water-damaged building until much, much de- later. Oh now. God!
0: Hello, we were there seven years. We didn't know um, we had yeah. water damage. Yeah. Yep. Yeah, yep.
1: Yeah. And and it's so it's so scarily super common that that that's the scenario. People only put two and two together much much later. And some people don't even know which is the house that caused them to get sick. They just know that there's been mold illness in the past or mold exposure in the past. So, yeah, if you've if you've got an unreasonably high level of neuroinflammation that's continuing, then we need to look at, it's not just the virus, what else? What else is contributing to this? Or is it a bunch of other viruses you've had in your past or one other virus you've had in your past that are contributing to what naturopaths love to deem viral load? And do we need to look at at different ways to tackle that? Do we need to look at the gut? there's definitely a lot of uh, literature around the gut and long COVID. And I've been personally reading on, up on some stuff around um, a little fellow called butyrate. So butyrate's a short chain fatty acid. And it would appear that that is one of the keys in getting the, the inflammation and the gut and everything right in, in terms of recovery from viruses. So, If butyrate levels are low, it seems that outcomes are not as good. If butyrate levels are higher, it seems that inflammation comes down more readily and outcomes better. So this is like some early, early evidence, but it seems that that's where it's heading. And I'm like, oh, hello, old friend butyrate. Yeah. That's... Yeah. That, <laughs> of course you turned up to the party. Yeah. So, makes
0: a lot of sense.
1: Yeah. Butyrate is in charge of feed. Uh, he's got some other mates as well called acetate and propionate. Like there's other short chain fatty acids as well, but butyrate is one of the key foods for the good bugs in your small intestine. Hello. Like, of course you want to feed them because remember where's your immune system mate? It's made in the gut. So if, you, if your bugs are all out of whack, is your immune system going to function correctly? No, it's probably not. So of course we need to feed the good bacteria in the gut and that's why it's – notice I haven't mentioned probiotics at all today, even though there's some really great ones and there's ones that are specific for immunity and, like, we could go down that rabbit hole if you wanted to. But you know what? The, the state of the lining of the gut is more important than – which probiotic you should take because if you just take probiotics without fixing up your gut lining first, they're going to go in and they're going to go out the other end and they're not going to stick. And, and that's a whole
0: waste of cash.
1: Well, what, what, did we have, what did we call it before? Money down the dunny. Mm. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Literally. <Yeah. laughs> so we don't want that. Um, mm. And, yes, pro- there are some probiotics that are amazing for immunity and blah, blah, blah. But also that's like the icing on the cake. I don't think it's the cake. I think the cake is getting the lining of the gut healthy, getting the, the prebiotics in there to feed the good bacteria. Then you put the good bacteria in. Absolutely. So and, and so
0: does that mean we look at taking like a, um, a collagen that's got a good level of glutamine in it or um, yeah. immunoglobulins as well? Like yeah. are those some things we could look at?
1: They can be helpful for some people. I use a lot of glutamine in my practice mm-hmm. I, I really do I've been I back the truck up with the glutamine to a lot of my patients and <laughs> keep it in um, but yeah it glutamine typically only works at high doses like the there's the studies are all around sort of you know the upper levels so we're, we're talking like yeah, what was it like two and a half grams twice a day or whatever so like that that's a lot um, glutamine. I give to my clients when I, when I suspect or know that they've got what we love to call leaky gut, which is actually like increased intestinal permeability so and damage or inflammation to the gut lining. So if I know someone's had something like IBS or something for a long time, if they come to me and they've had symptoms for a really long time and I'm like, oh, this gut problem, you know, like like we were talking about earlier, someone who's been bloated for decades it's like, well, what effect has that had on the gut itself and on the gut lining itself? Like, of course, it's causing damage and it's been causing damage for maybe a long time. If a person's got a lot of weird food allergies or intolerances, like I'm always suspecting leaky gut. If a person's got autoimmune issues going on, I'm suspecting leaky gut. So, yeah, when in doubt, like I back up the truck with the glutamine and tip that in, but not for everyone. But it does, it, it does work for a lot of my clients, but it's not, the only, it's not the only solution. That helps to heal up the gut, and I do think it helps with some of the inflammation, getting the inflammation down. But you still need to put in your beautiful prebiotic fibres to increase your, your good bacteria, to feed your good bacteria. So if we're looking at increasing butyrate, we're, we're looking at prebiotic fibres, and there's like specific ones that you can use that, that do tend to increase levels of butyrate
0: and are there any whole foods that you can recommend there so that it's not all just a little <gasps> oats. Pill diet? Oats. oats. Mm-hmm.
1: Who knew, right? Oats. So oats
0: like <laughs> form a, some sort of a brick in my stomach, even the gluten-free ones. What's that about? It like just, well, just turns into cement in there and stays there for a few days.
1: That's either, well, do you have food intolerance to grains in general?
0: yeah generally like yeah
1: down grains in general I do rice is
0: exactly the same they're they're the two gluten-free grains that you can turn to and I tend to just stick to buckwheat which really isn't a grain at all
1: no it's Um, a seed yeah Yeah.
0: buckwheat tapioca coconut flour all the ones that are basically non-grain in my grain yeah uh, in my gluten-free foods uh, I'm totally fine
1: with so But, yeah, if someone comes to me and they can't tolerate oats and they can't tolerate rice, I mean, if they can't tolerate oats, the very first thing I would say is, uh, is there a family history of celiac disease? Because if someone's celiac, then they often cannot tolerate oats and probably shouldn't have it Um, because oats have got a protein in them called avenin. So they don't have gluten, but they have this guy called avenin, which is like gluten's cousin and sometimes can be mistaken for gluten by the body because of something called molecular mimicry, where the body is so hair-triggered by gluten That they see avenin and and have the same response. So yeah, celiac people, I tend to not, I tend to keep them off the oats. But if a person is getting inflamed by grains in general, like I would be thinking that the gut work is not yet fully. Done. Sorry, mm. Alex.
0: No, that's okay. That. It's an ongoing project. <laughs> I'm happy to put layers. myself up it as a guinea pig on the show. It always
1: happens. We're like onions though. Like mm. we we are always peeling off another layer and another layer and another layer. And a lot of my like my, my long-term clients, they will say, like, when is this going to be over? And I'm like, well, will probably find something else to do after this one. So mm-hmm. if you you sort one thing out and then you find something else to to sink your teeth into and that's yeah. life because yeah. we're we're aging and and we're still alive and we're still you know having challenges but yeah um i think i think with anyone who's having problems with grains in general they usually have a level of inflammation going on that hasn't been fully dealt with yeah Okay, thanks. (laughs) (laughs) Sorry. Well,
0: hopefully, I've been able to at least sacrifice myself (laughs) to support some listeners out there
1: to get some answers. We're doing the hard yards here, dear listeners, so that Mm -hmm. we can guide you after we've done it ourselves.
0: Absolutely. (laughs) And so, so oats are a really good prebiotic fiber, and. Um, are you a fan of putting? You know how people like obviously peel their bananas usually to put the banana in the smoothie. Are you a fan of the banana skin going in with the banana for some more prebiotic fiber oh. or n- not so much?
1: Do you know what? Instead of that, I use green bananas.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, so the green to, banana powder yeah, or green, green bananas. Yeah,
1: green banana flour. Yeah. Mm. And they, by the way, they make the best pancakes of your life. They
0: do. I agree. My apple hotcakes are using green banana flour and they're delicious.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Mm. Green banana flour is so good in so many ways, but also it's a, it's an amazing prebiotic, which helps to increase the short chain fatty acids in the gut. So it's win-win and kids won't even know that you're feeding them green bananas. Like you can make muffins and pancakes and things with it. And like, it tastes like normal food. Um, If you're luckily, if, to if if you're a lucky person like myself who happens to have a banana tree or 10 in their backyard, which I do, uh, we pick the bananas green and then we peel them and then we chop them up and we use them the same way that you would use potatoes. Now, apparently green lady fingers are the ones that have the most prebiotic action, like more so than your green Cavendishes, although they'll still have some. But yeah, so uh, it was a friend of James's, a friend of my husband's who's from Guadeloupe, of all places. And he freaked out because he came came up from Melbourne to visit us. And he freaked out because we went to the farmer's market and he saw green bananas for sale. And he hadn't seen green bananas for sale for like 20, 30 years. And because where he goes in, you know, Coles in Melbourne, like all the bananas are yellow or maybe slightly tinged with green. But you want absolute green bananas for this. And he he like got us to buy these green bananas at the farmer's market and we came home and he showed me how to peel them and chop them up. And I was like, well, what do you do with the green bananas? He goes, anything that you would use potatoes for. So you can roast them, you can mash them, you can fry them, you can do whatever you want. All right, I'm a naturopath, so I should, probably shouldn't say fry them, but we'll just strike oh, well, Extra virgin olive oil, maintain yeah,
0: polyphenol. Yeah, slowly, power, slowly don't
1: let your oil smoke, whatever. Mm. Um, so live, live in the w- real world, not the perfect world. But, yeah, anywhere you would use potatoes. So I will parboil them and then I'll put a bit of oil or butter over them and I'll chuck them in the oven to finish them off just oh, like yummy. with your roasties. You know when you get mm. the slightly smashed roast potatoes? Yeah, delicious. Um, but the best place to use green bananas, you chop them up, and you put them in a curry. Oh Lordy, it's the best thing ever. It's, and people think you've put potato in the curry, right? Now they're a resistant starch, which means they don't mess up your blood sugar like potatoes do, right? Win-win, win, 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 green bananas for the win. So if, if you're lucky enough to live somewhere that either you like can get green bananas off a tree or you can get them from a farmer's market, right? Because you'll never find them at Coles, But you might be even your organic shop, if you don't see them on the shelf. Ask the person at the organic shop if they have any out the back because they will often buy their bananas in and then they will sit them out the back waiting for them to ripen a bit.
0: Until they look they ready in inverted shows, commas. Yeah.
1: Right? Yeah. So, and I know this because we actually sell our bananas, right? Because we grow bananas here in, mm. in, on our little acreage in Queensland. We actually sell them or swap. It's, we actually swap them. we're Mm. we're not banana farmers people (laughs) Um, we're banana swappers (laughs) but yeah so and we know we give them to her green but she doesn't put them straight out on the shelf she puts them out the back until they're a bit yellow and then she puts them out for sale so just start asking around because these are like amazing real food solutions that like kids will eat you know partners will eat they're not weird it's not like you're introducing some new food that no one's ever had before You just tuck it in a stew or a casserole or a curry or whatever and, like, no one will even realise what you've done. Yeah. They'll be like, what's that? That's the best potato ever. Love it. Fantastic. Awesome. Win-win.
0: My gosh. We've been through so many different options to bolster the immune system, to... what is it, mitigate the severity of disease based on current research through to what to do when you actually get sick through to how to prevent post-viral symptoms or support post-viral viral symptoms
1: i know it's like we've done four podcasts in one i need a lie down i know me too (laughs) we've been talking
0: for nearly an hour and a half so
1: (laughs) well done to
0: everybody who's made it right to the end with us jules thank you so much for joining me i think it's um such an interesting area of study right now everybody's learning so much new research is coming out all the time Thanks to researchers not wanting to wait for companies to make new things, but actually wanting to see what we have that exists that we could all be using and making the most of. So, thank you for helping us navigate that brave, complicated world. Uh, an absolute pleasure to have you back on the show.
1: Oh, thank you so much, Alex. It's been an absolute pleasure. Anytime, happy to help out you and all of your people. Awesome.
0: Well, there you have it. Thank you so much for tuning in today. I hope you enjoyed today's interview. And I want to remind you that you can come join me on social, on Instagram, at lowtoxlife, or one word, or my personal Instagram, uh, at underscore Alex with two X's, Stuart, S-T-U-A-R-T. On Facebook, you can find us at lowtoxlife uh, and, of course, lowtoxlife.com. And if you want additional support, and community around leading a low-tox life, I can't recommend a better thing to do than to come join us at the Low-Tox Club for just $49 Australian per year, which is about $29.30 US, about 27 euro and about 25 pounds. You get a stack of club member perks and the benefit of a beautiful private Facebook community. So, check out the website, lowtoxlife.com, hit the explore tab, and you'll see join the Lotox Club as your very first option there. I hope to see you in there. If not, I will see you in our wider community sometime soon. Thanks again for tuning in.